Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I'm Mark Pugh. I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. I'm, I'm over our outreach and operations, and it's a real pleasure to be able to be here with you and to share God's Word with you as we continue in our sermon series in Romans. And today we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. You're welcome to go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phone and app and and turn to chapter 4, verse uh, 1 to to 12. But as you're doing that, I need to ask a question. So Valentine's Day was just a couple days ago. Did any of you guys happen to like write a a letter to somebody or, or maybe give a card to somebody? Like, I don't, I don't want to get anybody in trouble if they forgot. But I got a card from my bride, and it was, it was pretty nice. It was nice. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a big gifts guy or, or really even a words of affirmation person. It doesn't necessarily fill my tank up. And a card's such a little thing. But still, it was really nice to get this card from Rhonda as it reminded me that she loves me. And that gives me confidence. You know, maybe even better than getting a letter or a card from your spouse is uh, I I recently wrote a letter from God to myself. And I I came into the new year, and I really don't remember why I did this. I read it somewhere. It said it'd be a good idea to write a letter and kind of present your desires to God. Like, how would he grow you this year? What were your what were your desires? Where were you at as you were coming into the new year? And, um, and then a separate letter writing it from God to me with what did God want for me? And I was a little suspect. I was like, I don't know if this can be a great idea or not. But writing that letter to myself, man, it made a big impact. It was kind of shocking how much it impacted me. And I, you know, I'd saved a full like page in my journal. I thought I'd be like writing all sorts of stuff God was going to tell me. And I only had like two, two, two short paragraphs. Um, you know, my letter, it started, here, here's how it started. He said, Mark, I love you. I love you deeply. All the time, every day, I love you regardless of whether you get a lot done today or not. And then he he ended my letter by saying, come to me to allow me to take away your burdens and to help guide you every day. You know, reading this letter has been so good. It's been good. It's helped me have confidence in, in Jesus in his work versus me in my work, because I so often rely on myself instead of Jesus. So this morning, I want us to take a look at where are we getting our confidence from? You know, being confident has some advantages. Um, I looked this up on the internet, and uh, I heard things like, hey, it reduces anxiety, being confident, brings more happiness, more joy, it loses some uh, self-doubt by being confident. And I, this is a pretty good list, I thought. So this morning in, in our passage, we're going to look at what Abraham, King David, and the early Jewish believers, what did they put their confidence in and what should we put our confidence in? So let's, let's read, if you guys would follow along in Romans, this chapter 4, 
verses 1 to 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Well, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So we're, we're talking about circumcision, right? Like, uh, we're, we're not really going to talk about circumcision. Well, well, maybe we are because it's in here a whole lot. But we're not going to start with circumcision. We're going to start with the question, what gives us confidence that we are justified before God? So a little context here. Paul, he's addressing the Jewish and the Gentile communities in, in Rome. I would imagine his comments caused quite a Uh, a stir within the Jewish believers because the Jewish believers, they had been working all their life very hard at trying to honor and follow the over 600 laws that they had. This had really become ingrained in them and that that following the law had basically become their savior. For many of them, it was no longer about their heart that mattered. What mattered was were they following these laws? You know, it's interesting that, that Paul, he uses Abraham and King David to make this point. The, the Jewish community would have held them with amazing reverence. It, they would have been such a big deal as Abraham. He was considered the father of the faith. And then David was the greatest king Israel had ever known. And, you know, try to put that in our perspective and kind of compare them with, <coughs> sorry about that, our heroes. I think you'd have to kind of combine George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and then add in General Robert Nalen, the late great Tennessee football coach of which our stadium is named after. So as we think about what what are we putting our confidence in, well, let's look, what what did Abraham put his confidence in? And we see this in, in verses one to five. These verses are talking about how Abraham was confident in being justified And if we look at verse 2 specifically, we'll see this word boast in there. And what boast really means is to have a high degree of confidence. So if I read that, it would say, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about or something to be confident in, but not before God. 
So before we get going here, let's, let's first talk about justification. <clears throat> what is justification? Pastor John, he shared a couple of aspects of justification last Sunday. So we, we start with that. Justification is, is ju- you, you are just as if you had never sinned or just as you had always obeyed. So justification is when God takes away our sin and gives us his perfect behavior, his perfect abundant uh, obedience. Justification is when God declares us adopted into his family, that we're in the covenant family. It's, it's, it's how we're counted as righteous. And those two words are really important, counted and righteous. They're in this passage seven times out of 12 verses. So we got to think about that. What, what does righteous mean? It means to be in right standing before God. So what does our passage, what does our passage say that Abraham put his confidence in? So what did, what did Abraham accomplished that would allow him to think, oh, I'm righteous before God? Like, why would God want Abraham in his family? And we see this in, in verse 3. You know, we see that Abraham believed. So Abraham, he was saved by faith, by somebody that lived thousands of years later. He was saved by faith, and God counted him as righteous. We see that in verse 3. It wasn't something Abraham that had done that he could boast about. It was a gift from God. And we see something pretty similar in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast or have confidence in themselves. So through Abraham's life story, Paul is telling us that we ought to place our confidence in how amazing God is for honoring all these promises that he's given us versus having confidence in how good we are, how we've earned our salvation, so let's, let's take a little more look at this. Let's look at what did Abraham, what did he really believe? First, Abraham, he believed in the gospel story. We see that in Genesis 12, 3. God had, had promised Abraham that all the nations, they would all be blessed through him. And this was, this was part of the, the gospel story. You know, Abraham, he was excited about the land that God had promised him. But he was also excited about the spiritual blessing of eternal life that, that, that would be seen by him, his family, and, and some nations. Now, Abraham, he believed in the gospel. He believed in the good news of salvation. And it was for that sake. It was for the sake of God's salvation and that promise that I'm sure gave confidence to Abraham to leave his homeland in Ur and go be obedient to God. You know, Abraham, he had it pretty good. He had property, had a solid family. He wasn't, he wasn't wanting much of anything. So I'm sure it was not that easy for him to be inconvenienced to go leave his homeland and follow God's call. But you know what? I bet, I bet, I imagine that trusting God's promises probably helped reduce his anxiety as he went. So the second thing Abraham believed is that he and his family, they, were, they would be redeemed by a future Savior. See, he knew his people, they needed to 
have their sins not counted against them to be able to be in God's family. And, and so we see in a verse in Jesus talking in John 8, uh, verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. See, Abraham, he knew. Abraham knew this spiritual blessing of eternal life was going to come from faith in one specific person, Jesus. Abraham might not have known his name at the time, but he was looking forward to the coming of this individual which his faith would, would in Jesus and his work would count him as righteous, as a justified person to be in God's family. <clears throat> I think that's an amazing story. I mean, I think it's just absolutely amazing. And we see this multiple times in the Old Testament. Promises to other people. And I love the point that's made in verse 4. If we look at verse 4, it says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as, as a gift, but as his due. You know, less than a, a decade ago, I, uh, I was working for a marketing firm down in Buckhead. <clears throat> and every year, um, the owner and I, we would work on a bonus plan for the company. And uh, let me... Let me Read what bonus means, by the way. Just, this came from the internet, so I'm sure it's accurate. It says, bonus, something in addition to what is expected or strictly due. So I always wanted to tie our bonuses to net profit. It's like, did we make money or not? And we would bonus other metrics, but if we didn't make money, we weren't paying out the bonus. And the owner, he would pretty often tell me, okay, you just wait. You wait and watch. Because when we don't hit our numbers, the employees, they're going to be mad because they expected it. They earned it. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. It's our salvation. Is, if it's dependent upon our works, then we've earned it. It's not a gift from God, if that's true. It's not God's grace, but it's through our efforts. And luckily, we see in verse 5, that's not true. The, the way it really works is for those who believe. That word believe, it means to like lean on. About lost this, the stand in the first service. It was pretty funny. It was like leaving the stage, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Abraham leaned on Christ. And we need to lean on Christ. It was in Christ that our faith is counted as righteous. It's his work that does it. It doesn't say for those people that work really, really hard or are good people, we shouldn't put our confidence in that. We shouldn't put our confidence in how hard we are trying to be good people. All right, so that's Abraham. Let's talk about at what King David put his confidence in. And we, <clears throat> we see this in verses 6 to 8. So in verse 6 to 8, Paul, he's actually quoting Hebrew, or he's quoting Psalm 32 that David wrote probably a thousand years beforehand. Um, let me read that. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed, or, or another word be happy, is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So in verse 7, we, we see there's several ways that God's dealing with our sin here. And the first way is that our sins are forgiven or they're sent off. 
We see that like our sin and David's lawless deeds, they're forgiven. And we, we see that we're happy, we're blessed because of this. You know, I think we all, we all tend to struggle a little bit with carrying around guilt and shame for something we've done in the past. And, you know, the beauty of that feeling is it can lead us to, to forgiveness. It, it can lead us to seek forgiveness. And, and this passage tells us God will always give us the forgiveness we need, that there's nothing that we've done that he won't forgive. The Greek word here for forgiveness means to, to send off, to, to send away, and it's, it's a lot like what we, what we read in our, our assurance of pardon in 1 Peter 2, 24. We, we saw that Jesus, he took our sins away and he bore it on the cross. So, Another way that, that we see God dealing with our sin in verse seven is that our sins are covered. And that's a little different than being forgiven or sin off. This word, it's, it's only used one time in the New Testament. And we think that's probably because he's, again, he's quoting the Hebrew text from Psalm 32. But this is important because it, in the Old Testament, that's kind of where we get some background on what does it mean that we, our sins are covered. You know, that phrase, covering our sins, it it comes from the Jewish rituals from the Day of Atonement. This is where the priest, he would, in the courtyard, he would sacrifice an animal, he'd, lo- he'd have blood, and he would go into the temple, and he would spray blood, sacrificial blood, over the mercy seat. We've got a, a picture of the mercy seat here. And so the mercy seat was up above, and right below the mercy seat was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the law. The law is what everybody had broken. So without this blood sacrifice, what this picture looked like was judgment. But when the laws were broken and then a sacrifice was made, well, then God's judgment had been delivered to this innocent victim who had taken our place. And so that's a beautiful picture of how our sins are covered over with the sacrifice. In a total different uh, ritual, we see how our sins are forgiven or sent off. And that's where the priests would come together and they would, they would pray over the goat and then they would send the goat out. They would pray the sins of the community over the goat and they would send the goat out. And that's how we have the phrase scapegoat. And then in verse eight, we see the third way God's addressing our sin. And that's by not counting them against us, which is that word count. It's like a, it's to credit. It's a bookkeeping term. So like he's saying, God's not with a ledger sheet writing down all of our sins, crediting them to us. We already saw that he took all those sins and he bore them on the cross for us. And it, it gives us this kind of fun little phrase, we have a clean slate. That's where that comes from. So the last point I, I want to mention in verses six to eight here is it says that God will not. <clears throat> God will not count our sins against us. He will not. I know we think we understand this. This concept seems pretty easy to understand, but I think, I think we have a difficult time really grasping what does that mean. Because we humans, we, we tend to not let things go very well. You know, a silly example is, uh, I love my bride. She's pretty awesome. She's sitting over there. So I gotta be careful here a little bit. But, as amazing as she is, she still gets really upset, kind of tort, when I leave the toilet seat up. 
but God forgives me over and over and over again. So what is something that you could think of that you've done so bad that God's not going to forgive you for that? I've got things in my life that I've done that were horrible. As we let go of that wrong thinking that we can't be forgiven for something, we start recognizing God's gift of, of forgiveness, I think we're profoundly changed. I think we start realizing how ungodly we are every day and how beautiful it is that God still honors those promises even though we don't deserve it. That creates this grateful heart. And a grateful heart, I think, leads to change. And change leads us to being able to display who Jesus is to other people. See, God, he meets us in our sin. That's where he, he meets us. He counts us as righteous. And then he brings us into his family. You know, I've, I've told this story before, um, but I became a Christian in, in 1998. I was about 30 years old. And right around that time that I became a Christian, <clears throat> I decided to go to a ministry at the church. And uh, that was shortly thereafter becoming a Christian. And I'm at the office and it's the day of the retreat and I need somebody to help me do something. This guy's doing some work on his computer for me. I'm standing right behind him. And he goes, he's making small talk. He says, hey, Pew, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go to a men's retreat at my church. And he, and he stops what he's doing. He looks over his shoulder at me and he goes, uh, really? Pew, I didn't take you as a churchgoer. And so, you know, if, if somebody doesn't think one way or the other about whether you go to church or not, that's probably no big deal. But when somebody's shocked that you go to church, yeah, it's, it's not a good sign of your behavior. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's funny, um, but it kind of makes me sad. You know, my, my, my confidence was not in God's promises or forgiveness. My confidence was in me, and it showed. Yet God redeemed me. He redeemed me. My lawless deeds were and are forgiven just like yours. As we believe in Christ, we're blessed, we're happy, because our sins are forgiven and covered forever. So where do you put your confidence? Are you like King David? You put your confidence in the promise that God's forgiven us. You know, King David, he had done a lot wrong that needed forgiveness. He had murdered and committed adultery. But I'm sure that because he did believe in the promises of a future Savior and God's forgiveness, that he had a lot less anxiety and a lot less self-doubt about what he had done. Or are we like what we're going to see with the, the Jewish believers in the day? What did they put their confidence in? And we see that in verses 9 to 12. The Jewish believers, they put their confidence in their works, especially the works of, of uh, circumcision. See, they felt that circumcision was kind of part of how you got into God's family. This, this word circumcision, it, it shows up nine 
times in our passage. So it's, it's obviously a very important theme as we see in, in verse 9 and 10. <coughs> Paul, he's talking to this Jewish audience and he's saying that Abraham believed, he like leaned on Christ prior to being circumcised. So with this, you know, Paul, he's inviting in the Gentile community. Because he's saying, hey, circumcision is not required. He's also telling the Jewish community that not the entire nation of Israel is going to be saved. The only people that are going to be saved are those Jewish believers that, as it says in verse 12, walk out their faith. So this early Jewish believers thought they were getting into God's family by having faith in Christ and being circumcised. They needed Jesus plus their rituals. And I think we know, we've said this before, we know that if we, do, if we trust in Jesus plus anything else, that's a problem. It got so bad at this time that the, the Jewish community started referring to the Gentile community as the uncircumcised, which was a really derogatory term that I'm sure upset them as it was basically saying, hey, you're not in God's love. God does not love you. So looking at this just a, a little more in detail, God gives circumcision to be a sign of the covenant promise in Genesis chapter 17. But he gave the gift of faith to Abraham many, many years earlier in Genesis chapter 15. And that, that passage in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, kind of an important passage. And I'm going to read it. He brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him, to Abraham as righteousness. So God, he gave Abraham this unconditional covenant promise that God was going to honor. All Abraham had to do was believe, believe or, or lean on the work of the cross that, that, that Christ did on our behalf. So for the Israelites, you know, circumcision had value. It was a sign and a seal that had been credited to them due to the faith that their family had in Jesus, but it did not save them. And we can see that again for the fact that God credited righteousness to Abraham in Genesis 15 prior to knowing anything about circumcision in Genesis 17. So, you know, I think most of us here I think we want to believe in Christ. But I think many of us, we struggle to not want to work for our righteousness versus letting Jesus credit his righteousness to us based on his work. I think it can be really helpful is we would learn as a people in the day, in the middle of the day, every day, to be paying attention for when is this moment that I'm trusting in Jesus, yes, but I'm also need some confidence in something else, in this other thing. We need to be on the watch out for that. We need to not trust our good works or our good behavior or even how good our kids are. And none of that stuff reduces anxiety. It all bumps up anxiety. Our righteous standing before God is a gift from God. There's nothing that we can do to be holy enough to, to enter into his covenant family. Not circumcision, not baptism, not being of, of Jewish descent. It's not something we've earned, nor 
Is it a gift that we should do nothing with? See, we're called to walk out our faith like Abraham did, where he leaned on Christ and he left his homeland. We see that in, in, in Romans 4.12. <clears throat> and then we see something kind of similar where Jesus is talking in John. In John 8, 38 and 39, says, I, I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, well, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. So just like Abraham, we're saved because of God's work in our heart. You know, the scriptures, they tell us that our hearts are circumcised to him. This is where our confidence needs to come from. This is confidence that will actually deliver joy. It will, it will reduce anxiety. It will give us peace. This confidence is how, again, Abraham had the ability to go walk in the footsteps of faith and leave. You know, I wonder how much better would my uh, career, how much better would I have enjoyed it if I'd learned this a little earlier than I did. Um, you know, back earlier in my career, I changed jobs every two or three years. And, I, and I'd look at my resume and I had confidence in it because I, I thought, man, this is showing growth. I've grown through these six different companies that I've worked for. But now looking back, I wonder how it would have felt to have written my resume in a different way. Putting a little boasting in what God had done. What was my confidence in with God instead of myself? What, what if I'd written my resume like this? You know, I'm thankful <clears throat> that it was God's will that we would be able to keep Kleenex products in stock 99% of the time because, you know what, sick people, they need tissues. Or because of God's blessing and the wisdom that he provided, our teams were able to complete their projects on time 90% of the time, which helped our clients be successful. It helped our clients be able to grow their employees and better care for their families. Or, or through God's provision, we were able to grow the company to over 12 million in sales, and that allowed us to care for over 60 employees and their families. Or maybe an even better thing is we look at our new sales deal and we say, by the grace of God, we're going to land that. We're going to land that new client. And if we don't, it's his sovereign plan. And it's good. It's good that we don't close that deal. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how much less stress and struggle I would have carried if, I'd, if I had learned this early on. If I had that letter that God wrote to me and put my trust in God and in Christ instead of myself, ah, oh, it would have been different. Christ loves us all dearly. Let's put our confidence in him and his work rather than our work. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.